Chapter eighty one, part eleven of the Adventures of Peregrine Pickle, volume two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Memoirs of a Lady of Quality, part eleven. His lordship being thus repulsed, Mr. W took the field and assailed my heart in a very different manner. He said he knew not how to make love, but was a man of honor and would keep the secret and so forth. To this cavalier address I answered that I was not angry as I otherwise should have been at his blunt declaration, because I found by his own confession he did not know what was due to the sex, and my unhappy situation in some shape excused him for a liberty which he would not have dreamed of taking had not my misfortunes encouraged his presumption. But I would deal with him in his own way, and far from assuming the prude, frankly assured him that he was not at all to my taste, hoping he would consider my dislike as a sufficient reason to reject his love. Lord R. began to feel the symptoms of a genuine passion, which he carefully cherished in silence, being naturally diffident and bashful. But by the very means he used to conceal it from my observation, I plainly discerned the situation of his heart, and was not at all displeased at the progress I had made in his inclinations. Meanwhile he cultivated my acquaintance with great assiduity and respect, attended me in all my excursions, and particularly in an expedition to Antwerp with two other gentlemen, where, in downright gaiety decor, we sat for our pictures which were drawn in one piece, one of the party being represented in the dress of a hussar, and another in that of a running footman. This incident I mention, because the performance, which is now in my possession, gave birth to a thousand groundless reports circulated in England at our expense. It was immediately after this jaunt that Lord R. began to disclose his passion, though he, at the same time, started such objections as seemed to extinguish his hopes, lamenting that, even if he should have the happiness to engage my affections, his fortune was too inconsiderable to support us against the efforts of Lord Hm. should he attempt to interrupt our felicity, and that he himself was obliged to follow the motions of the army. In short, he seemed to consider my felicity more than his own, and behaved with such delicacy as gradually made an impression on my heart, so that when we parted, we agreed to renew our correspondence in England. In the midst of these agreeable amusements, which I enjoyed in almost all the different towns of Flanders, I happened to be at Ghent one day, sitting among a good deal of company in one of their hotels, when a post-chaise stopped at the gate, upon which we went to the windows to satisfy our curiosity, when who should step out of the convenience but my little insignificant lord. I no sooner announced him to the company than all the gentlemen asked whether they should stay and protect me or withdraw, and when I assured them that their protection was not necessary, one and all of them retired, though Lord R. M. went no farther than the parlour below, being determined to screen me against all violence and compulsion. I sent a message to my lord, desiring him to walk up into my apartment, but although his sole errand was to see and carry me off, he would not venture to accept my invitation till he had demanded me in form from the governor of the place. That gentleman, being altogether a stranger to his person and character, 
referred him to the commanding officer of the English troops, who was a man of honour, and, upon his lordship's application, pretended to doubt his identity, observing that he had always heard Lord Hm represented as a jolly, corpulent man. He gave him to understand, however, that even granting him to be the person, I was by no means subject to military law unless he could prove that I had ever listed in His Majesty's service. Thus disappointed in his endeavours, he returned to the inn, and with much persuasion trusted himself in my dining-room, after having stationed his attendants at the door in case of accidents. When I asked what had procured me the honour of this visit, he told me his business and intention were to carry me home. This declaration produced a conference, in which I argued the case with him, and matters were accommodated for the present by my promising to be in England sometime in September, on condition that he would permit me to live by myself as before, and immediately order the arrears of my pen-money to be paid. He assented to everything I proposed, returned in peace to his own country, and the deficiencies of my allowance were made good. While I returned to Brussels, where I stayed until my departure for England, which I regulated in such a manner as was consistent with my engagement. I took lodgings in Pall Mall, and sending for my lord, convinced him of my punctuality, and put him in mind of his promise, when to my utter astonishment and confusion, he owned that his promise was no more than a decoy to bring me over, and that I must lay my account with living in his house like a dutiful and obedient wife. I heard him with the indignation such treatment deserved, upbraiding him with his perfidious dealing, which I told him would have determined me against cohabitation with him had I not been already resolved, and being destitute of all resource, repaired to Bath, where I afterwards met with Mr. D. and Mr. R., two gentlemen who had been my fellow-passengers in the yacht from Flanders, and treated me with great friendship and politeness, without either talking or thinking of love. With these gentlemen, who were as idle as myself, I went to the Jubilee at Preston, which was no other than a great number of people assembled in a small town, extremely ill-accommodated, to partake of diversions that were bad imitations of plays, concerts, and masquerades. If the world should place to the account of my indiscretion, my travelling in this manner with gentlemen to whom I had no particular attachment, let it also be considered, as an alleviation, that I always lived in terror of my lord, and consequently was often obliged to shift my quarters, so that my finances being extremely slender, I stood the more in need of assistance and protection. I was, besides, young, inconsiderate, and so simple as to suppose the figure of an ugly man would always secure me from censure on his account. Neither did I ever dream of any man's addresses until he made an actual declaration of his love. Upon my return to Bath I was again harassed by Lord Hm, who came thither accompanied by my father, whom I was very glad to see, though he importuned me to comply with my husband's desire and for the future keep measures with the world. This remonstrance about living with my lord, which he constantly repeated, was the only instance of his unkindness which I ever felt. But all his admonitions were not of force sufficient to shake my resolution in that particular, 
though the debate continued so late that i told his lordship it was high time to retire for i could not accommodate him with a bed he then gave me to understand that he would stay where he was upon which my father took his leave on pretence of looking out for a lodging for himself the little gentleman being now left with me began to discover some signs of apprehension in his looks but mustering up all his resolution he went to the door called up three of his servants whom he placed as sentinels upon the stairs and flounced into my elbow-chair where he resigned himself to rest intending to go to bed i thought it was but just and decent that i should screen myself from the intrusion of his footman and with that view bolted the door lord hm hearing himself locked in started up in the utmost terror and consternation kicked the door with his heel and screamed aloud as if he had been in the hands of an assassin my father who had not yet quitted the house hearing these outcries ran upstairs again and coming through my bedchamber into the dining-room where we were found me almost suffocated with laughter and his heroic son-in-law staring like one who had lost his wits with his hair standing on end when my father asked the meaning of his exclamations he told him with all the symptoms of dismay that i had locked him in and he did not understand such usage but i explained the whole mystery by saying i had bolted the door because i did not like the company of his servants and could not imagine the cause of his panic unless he thought i designed to ravish him an insult then which nothing was farther from my intention my father himself could scarce refrain from laughing at his ridiculous fear but seeing him in great confusion took pity on his condition and carried him off to his own lodgings after i had given my word that i would not attempt to escape but give him audience next morning i accordingly kept my promise and found means to persuade them to leave me at my own discretion next day i was rallied upon the stratagem i had contrived to frighten lord hm and a thousand idle stories were told about this adventure which happened literally as i have related it from bath i betook myself to a small house near lincoln which i had hired of the d of a because a country life suited best with my income which was no more than four hundred pounds a year and that not well paid i continued some months in this retirement and saw no company except lord r m who lived in the neighbourhood and visited me twice till finding myself indisposed i was obliged to remove to london and took lodgings in maddox street where my garrison was taken by storm by my lord hm and his steward reinforced by mr l v who as my lord told me had a subsidy of five-and-twenty pounds before he would take the field and a couple of hardy footmen this formidable band rushed into my apartment laid violent hands upon me dragged me downstairs without gloves or a cloak and thrusting me into a coach that stood at the door conveyed me to my lord's lodgings in gloucester street upon this occasion his lordship courageously drew his sword upon my woman who attempted to defend me from his insults and in all probability would have intimidated him from proceeding for he looked pale and aghast his knees knocked together and he breathed thick and hard with his nostrils dilated as if he had seen a ghost 
but he was encouraged by his mercenary associate who for the five-and-twenty pounds stood by him in the day of trouble and spirited him on to this gallant enterprise in consequence of this exploit i was cooped up in a paltry apartment in gloucester street where i was close beset by his lordship and his worthy steward mr h with a set of servants that were the creatures of this fellow of whom my lord himself stood in awe so that i could not help thinking myself in newgate among thieves and ruffians to such a degree did my terror avail that i actually believed i was in danger of being poisoned and would not receive any sustenance except from the hands of the one harmless-looking fellow a foreigner who was my lord's valet de chambre i would not pretend to say my fears were just but such was my opinion of h that i never doubted he would put me out of the way if he thought my life interfered with his interest on the second day of my imprisonment i was visited by the duke of l a friend of my lord who found me sitting upon a trunk in a poor little dining-room filled with lumber and lighted with two bits of tallow-candle which had been left overnight he perceived in my face a mixture of rage indignation terror and despair he compassionated my sufferings though he could not alleviate my distress any other way than by interceding with my tyrant to mitigate my oppression nevertheless i remained eleven days in this uncomfortable situation i was watched like a criminal all day and one of the servants walked from one room to another all night in the nature of a patrol while my lord who lay in the chamber above me got out of bed and tripped to the window at the sound of every coach that chanced to pass through the street h who was consummate in the arts of a sycophant began to court my favor by condoling my affliction and assuring me that the only method by which i could regain my liberty was a cheerful compliance with the humor of my lord i was fully convinced of the truth of this observation and though my temper is altogether averse to dissimulation attempted to affect an air of serenity and resignation but this disguise i found would not answer my purpose and therefore i had recourse to the assistance of my maid who was permitted to attend me in my confinement with her i frequently consulted about the means of accomplishing my escape in consequence of our deliberations she directed a coach and six to be ready at a certain part of the town and to wait for me three days in the same place in case i could not come before the expiration of that term this previous measure being taken according to my instructions the next necessary step was to elude the vigilance of my guard and in this manner did i effectuate my purpose being by this time indulged in the liberty of going out in the coach for the benefit of the air attended by two footmen who had orders to watch all my motions i made use of this privilege one forenoon when lord hm expected some company to dinner and bade the coachman to drive to the lodgings of a man who wrote with his mouth intending to give my spies the slip on pretence of seeing this curiosity but they were too alert in their duty to be thus outwitted and followed me upstairs into the very apartment disappointed in this hope i resolved another scheme which was attended with success i bought some olives at an oil shop and telling the servants i would proceed to st james gate and take a turn in the park broke one of the bottles by the way complained of the misfortune when i was set down 
and desired my coach might be cleaned before my return. While my attendants were employed in this office, I tripped across the parade to the horse guards, and chanced to meet with an acquaintance in the park, who said he saw by my countenance that I was upon some expedition. I owned his suspicion was just, but as I had not time to relate particulars, I quickened my pace and took possession of a hackney-coach, in which I proceeded to the vehicle I had appointed to be in waiting. While I thus compassed my escape, there was nothing but perplexity and confusion at home. Dinner was delayed till six o'clock. My lord ran half the town over in quest of his equipage, which at last returned with an account of my elopement. My maid was brought to the question, and grievously threatened, but like all the women I ever had, remained unshaken in her fidelity. In the meantime I travelled night and day towards my retreat in Lincolnshire, of which his lordship had not as yet got the least intelligence, and as my coachman was but an inexperienced driver, I was obliged to make use of my own skill in that exercise, and direct his endeavours the whole way, without venturing to go to bed, or take the least repose, until I reached my own habitation. There I lived in peace and tranquillity for the space of six weeks, when I was alarmed by one of my lord's myrmidons who came into the neighbourhood blustering and swearing that he would carry me off either dead or alive. End of chapter 81, part 11